and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This week on the show, we had Pandora Sykes uh, chatting about her new paperback edition of her Sunday Times bestseller, How Do We Know We're Doing It Right? Jason Donovan returns to the stage and takes us behind the curtains of Joseph and the Technical Dreamcoat. Felicity Kendall discusses her musical debut in the award-winning Anything Goes this summer. And Gina Yashere makes us dream big in her brilliantly honest memoir, Cack Handed. But before all that, here's Maria. I have a little bit of an ouchy head this morning. Oh, no. The sun, the sun, you see, it just releases our inhibitions. <laughs> I was on the beach until it got dark yesterday, drinking pina colada and pims. Did you wake up on the beach when it got light? <laughs> yes. No, I did not. <laughs> I'm feeling every one of my 35 years today, I tell you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm helped along in my hangover by the Waitrose Scrumptious Summer Pork Cheese and Pesto Bites. And, they look delicious. Yes, and they are. And also, I have sampled the ham, hock and piccalilli bites. It's like a little picnic here today. Except that, we're uh, not actually in the sun, but we can see the sun, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and, and they're all kind of little handy little carry boxes. It's cute. That you, you is know. very true. It's um, like a picnic that they've made for you. Very handy. <laughs> I know. And then you have to get there and say, no, I made all these. These are all <laughs> homemade. What do you mean, Waitrose? No, it's not Waitrose. <laughs> I did this myself. Um, I have to tell you as well that there was a lovely little thing that happened on the beach yesterday. This, it was very calm, obviously, and a boat sort of roared into the beach and sort of up the beach with flares coming. And there was there's a band called The Ravens, which is some five beautiful ladies. Um, they sort of slithered off the boat in gorgeous outfits and began singing with their flares up the beach. And oh, it was lovely. It was a spectacle, Graham. Oh, did everyone boo? Yeah. Every, everyone <laughs> turned away. Everyone booed and threw empty bottles at them. <laughs> <laughs> and they got back on their boat. You know Hastings so well, Graham. <laughs> we don't like thinking, show-offs. We I don't was, like show-offs. I was just thinking how I'd feel if I was having a lovely time on a beach and then a big noisy boat and some caterwauling women got off it with flares. <gasps> caterwauling. They'll have to put that on their poster now. <laughs> <laughs> Graham Norton called us caterwauling. That's not unfair. They're very, very tuneful. So that we, we all got overexcited and we sat on the beach. And But it just seems like such a long time since we've been able to do that, sit on the beach, all still apart until tomorrow, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Good luck, everyone. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. But um, it's lovely. And how's little Dolly coping in the heat? Um, where is she? <laughs> suddenly remembered I've got a dog. Uh, no, she's not thrilled with it, but I just sort of, you know, chuck, she's a water dog, isn't she? She's a poodle. I chuck her in the sea a bit and then she looks at me aghast and paddles out, but cool cooling down. I think it's really more that the um, the pavements get so very hot. Mm. Uh, so that's what's, you know, I've seen dogs with burns because of the pavement and tarmac really heats up. So you have to be very careful about that. And that's why this morning when I left at about half seven, there were lots and lots of people out with their dogs early doors, which seems like a very good idea. Because they do say you should chest the pavement with your own foot. And if you go, ow. <laughs> you know that thing when you come off the beach or you're walking up sand oh, or you're yeah. going across the car park with your bare feet and you're thinking, ow, ow, ow. That's a dog, that is. So uh, don't make a dog do 
it. If and you, a dog if you can't, can't go do it, out, 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 but they can just have very blistered feet. So today, especially, it's going to be 30 degrees. It's going to, it's especially important. So grass, grass all the way. What did you do yesterday, please? I need to know more about your life. And so do the Virgin Radio listeners. This is true. I did this. <laughs> Well, yes, I know that because I spoke to you. But, Graham, you're in show no, business. No. You have a very exciting life. Well, tell I'll me tell about you. your uh, literary will, festival. Actually, you know what? I will tell you an exciting uh, showbiz thing. OK. And it's, and it's a bit indulgent. But on uh, Friday afternoon, they did, on the Zoom, so everyone was in different places, they did the first read-through of all the scripts of um, this TV series they're making of my first book. Of your first book is Holding. Holding. Um, yes. And they're, film, they're filming it in West Cork in August, but they did the read-through on Friday. So I got to see, for the first time, I got to see all the actors. And, and you know what? Actors are a... Amazing! Did I would, they bring I mean, it to life, Graham? That's what no, they say. Like, they it? really did. I mean, they gave it such depth, and you know, and also, you know, they weren't in costume, they weren't in a set. They were all just sat in their kitchens or bedrooms or living rooms or whatever, all scattered around the place. And bless actors! I mean, they really committed. You know, I, I was sort of, you know, bits of it genuinely moving, genuinely exciting, and you just thought that's amazing that you can do that. Um, so it was, and kind of mad that it's all kind of based on this thing that I did make up. And it's it, it's filming. It starts filming in August. In a minute, you mean? Yeah, in a minute. My goodness, with the lovely Kathy Burke directing. I know how posh is that. And will you be knocking about the place to see any of it? No, there will be no kind of Hitchcockian bit where <laughs> they pan to the corner of the pub and Graham Norton's there going, hmm. Could you no. not just play a dead body now, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> Could they so not sl- just dig you it'd up? So, it'd be so slimming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you must be in some sort of crowd shot somewhere. No, you don't want to do that. But also, can you tell me, because I think I read about it online, that you did some literary festival in Bantry in Ireland land? I did, and a picture of me was on the front page of the Southern Star newspaper oh, yesterday. come on, you've made it now. Who needs the daily papers when you can get the Southern Star? I know, and I brought it home to my mother proudly and I went, look, mother, I'm a cover star. And she went, oh, you look so old. <gasps> and That's I, your mum. Your mum's I, motto is, sure, Graham, now don't lose the run of yourself. Yeah, and then I said, and then I said, um, thank you very much. And she went, your hair looks all right. Better than it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an Irish mammy thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> it Just keep really your is. feet on the ground in case you get big ideas because you're on the front of the Daily Star. No, what was it the called? Way, the Morning and by, Star. And by the no. way, you're, you, no, that's, that's the one in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, your feet are ugly. That's the, that's the other thing. Yeah. Keep your feet on the ground and uh, you're there really yeah, ugly feet. You wouldn't want to yeah. elevate those in any way, shape or form because they're li- like little trotters. Uh, sure, Maria, you inherited it from a pig. I'm, I'm warming to my theme now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop you now. Yeah, good. Uh, go gather some post. Virgin Radio. Here's one. Dear Graham and Maria, I met my current fiance. This, there's a long one and a short one. This is a long one. Okay. I, I met my, just keeping you in the loop. <laughs> I met my current fiance six years ago. We this met, is the long one, right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it again. I met my... <laughs> Stop it now, you're going to make me laugh. I met my current fiancé six years ago. We met in the UK, but he's Australian. We've had a great relationship, sometimes together for a year, and sometimes it's more like two to six months between seeing each other. So lots of flights, visas and adventures. Last year, due to many reasons and COVID, we decided we now have to choose a country to settle in. The UK won. 
He had to return to Australia so he could apply for a partnership visa, which he couldn't do while he was here. And we'll be getting married with it in October. We now haven't seen each other for 10 months. In this time, I've gradually gone off him and the relationship. I'm happy alone and I have a good life. To be honest, I'm not excited for his arrival at all, but I don't know if that will change once I've seen him again. The only way for that to happen is for him to fly to the UK once it's, he's here. It's incredibly hard for him to return to Australia due to the COVID restrictions. So basically, do I call it off now and stop the huge faff of him getting over here just for me to end the relationship, risking that I'll probably never see him again, or do I take the risk and still get him to come will I be breaking it will I regret breaking it off with him but I don't want to marry him out of guilt either we have everything in place visas have now been granted and the flight's been booked we have discussed this but I haven't told him explicitly how I feel and that is from that was indeed the long one that is from Ellie in Northampton now Ellie in Northampton I want to sit you down stroke your hand and say it's been a tough time and it's been a tough time for everyone. The visas, the constant coming and goings, the times apart. Things have just got real for you. It's all in place. It's ready. The venue is booked in October. And I think, Ellie, in Northampton, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you've got cold feet. And I think that's perfectly acceptable. Suddenly, it's all got real. I nearly said a bad word there, but I didn't. It's all got very real. And I want you to just imagine, Ellie in Northampton, that if you, if it was the other way round, if it was reversed, so if he called you and called it off, I mean, would you feel hurt and regret or would you feel relief and joy? Because I think you're just in a bit of a quandary at the moment and you can't call it off on a Skype call after six years. You owe him more than that. So you said, will I feel differently once he's here? You may be delighted. No one's saying that you don't have a lovely life on your own and you're happy in your own skin. But I just feel that there's a lot of nerves going on here and that perhaps you've talked yourself into something that you will regret. There's a lot in your relationship. Will you say, will I regret that I never see him again? Graham, what do you think? Well... I think certainly, Ellie, you can't do anything without seeing him, I think. Um, now, do you get him to come over? Like, you say you've talked about this, but not explicitly. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what you've actually said. Because what you need to say to him is, you know, I do want to see you again, but... I, you know, it's been it's been difficult being away from you for so long. I wonder if the spark is still there or something. You just need to flag up that you're not quite as gung-ho about this as you were. And when I say not quite as gung-ho, I fear, Maria... Oh, yeah. ...that she has... She's shut the door on this already. She's talked herself out of this already. And actually, once he rocks up, nothing's... I feel like nothing's going to change her mind. And it's like this letter is asking us... For permission. For permission to, can I break this man's heart? Can I just throw away six years? Can I th- Can I just cancel a wedding? And of course you can cancel a wedding. And far better to cancel a wedding than to go into one with doubts. Don't but do that. Maybe Ellie should say to him, when you're having your next face-to-face call, on FaceTime or Skype or wherever, uh, you say, oh, name of man, 
I'm I'm sort of don't call him that obviously that would be foolish yeah that, that's very hurtful no, because yeah. if you, he thought you'd forgotten what his name was that would tell him everything really so maybe say that maybe say um, oh you know please Scott. insert name here yeah. Scott <laughs> I'm I'm I have to tell you and I don't know what's caused this but I'm I've got cold feet I'm feeling really nervous so open up a conversation which just means <laughs> that you're feeling nervous and he goes and then he could say oh it'll be fine you know I, once I'm there and I do that thing I do with your feet um, <laughs> massage feet massage yeah. um, you know you'll feel differently or he'll say ah oh, for goodness sake mate don't let me come all the way from Australia just to dump me <laughs> where, where is he from now? <laughs> Wales <laughs> oh, okay um, no, and also wouldn't it be amazing Ellie if you said please insert name here uh, I've got cold feet and it's not circulation and he went ooh I've got cold feet too and I don't want to do it either. Can I please stay in Australia where I'm very happy and I've met someone else? You know, so I do think you need, you just need to have a conversation before he comes over, but don't stop him coming. Don't tell him not to come. No, because you will that's, regret that's that. that's not fair. That's not fair on you. That's not fair on six years. That's not fair on him. So let, you know, certainly be reunited and see how you feel. But I worry that Ellie has shut the door already. Uh, no, I don't think so at all. I think there's a lot in her letter that feels that the, she may regret this decision. So, you know, do nothing for now. Try and talk to somebody, talk to your best friend or a parent about how you're feeling because I do think it's been so hard for everyone in lockdown and also you've had visas to sort out. You've, it's been a difficult relationship all in all and suddenly after this visa and he comes to live here, that's it. It's, it's full on you and him together. So difficult. Yes. Because it's also that thing is that sometimes relationships become about the relationship. So if all they ever talk about is visas and when we're going to see each other again and, oh, I've booked flights here and, da, da, well, why don't we meet there? Da, 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 da. And suddenly you're getting to this point where, what are we going to talk about <laughs> when it's all just sorted? Uh, that can be quite frightening, I think. Quite kind of, yeah, scary. I love a relationship that just talks about flights and visas. <laughs> so <laughs> thrilling. Better than talking about dogs, <laughs> which is what I do. Uh, no, that's true. Not true. I mean. <laughs> Virgin Radio. I'm going to do another letter and this one's very short. OK, great. Dear Graham and Maria, my sister's partner has a band and I've been out to see them a few times. They're dreadful. She keeps inviting me to their gigs and I'm notoriously rubbish at excuses, so I end up going anyway. I'm a mum in my 50s, so a night out to me is rare and should be special. How can I stop going without being overwhelmed with guilt? And that is from Angela in Cheltenham. Now, Angela in Cheltenham, um, yes, of course, bands that are rubbish can be tedious, but the whole point of this occasion is to see your sister, to see others, to socialise, to have a drink, to have fun, can I say. Now, they only do a couple of sets, presumably, and not all evening. Um, so, And also, I would not feel guilty by saying, 
look, sister, insert name of sister here, um, I've seen that. I've seen the bands, you know, they're fabulous, but I know the set by half now. I can sing it, you know, a million times, all the cover version and Sweet Caroline, etc., etc. <laughs> and I don't feel... Or organise some of your own things to do when, you know, she asks you if they want to come. You have to also think, Angela and Shelton, maybe your sister is being nice, thinking, you're, you know, you haven't been out... Uh, she wants you to have fun and invites you to everyone. Maybe the rest of the band like you. Maybe people just want to see you. You know, it's not that they're... Well, it is that they're dreadful, obviously, because that is tedious. But you can go outside and have a chat when that happens. So, um, Or you could just go out when they're on. That's what I'm saying. No, I just think this is, a, you know, Angela's a mom in her 50s. I'm not a mom, but I'm in my 50s. I don't really want to see a good band in a pub. <laughs> Graham, you're such a killjoy. Never mind what a bad one. What do you want one. to do? Who would you well, go to see? Well, look, if I went to see a band, I think, you see, what you're saying, Maria, mm. is suggesting that you go to see a dreadful band, but it doesn't matter because you still have a good night out. If you're sitting with the girlfriend of the guy in the band, you have to pretend to listen, which is hell. That's just all... You know that thing when somebody starts singing... I'm not singing, seeing you're like, it like a concert, though, Graham. I'm seeing it a band yeah, in a pub. Yeah, no, but, but even a band in a pub, if you're sitting with the sister of the guy in the band, you, you're, you're supposed to sit there kind of while your wine goes warm in your glass watching this absolute awfulness. I mean, it's as bad as the Beach and Hastings yesterday. And <gasps> it's just... <laughs> Just, the Ravens, take, the I've Ravens take, are going to be complaining. Let me just take I've taken again the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> That's very mean. Please feel free to call in, Ravens. Um, but no, Graham, in, in a pub, you it's not sitting down. Everybody just mills about, don't they? You In a normal situation, yes. But if you're there with the sister of the guy in the band... You can't be just you can't certainly you can't talk to your sister while it's going on because she's all doe-eyed at the front no, thinking, she's not. You oh, can, he's you can brilliant. say to your sister, tap her on the arm, and say, Have they played this before? <laughs> and just <laughs> do that just do that repeatedly, even Have... before they finish the song, so she stops asking you. Yeah. Has he ever played the guitar before? <laughs> or tell her you think they're dreadful, or let her hear this so she knows <laughs> that you think her boyfriend's band is dreadful and you never want to go out again. What else are you going to do, Angela and Cheltenham? What's the going on in Cheltenham? The surprise is... Well, there's a literary festival. Uh, the surprise is that they've got uh, so many gigs. If they're that bad, you know, that's incredible that people keep booking them. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, if people got any advice for Angela and Cheltenham, it's an etiquette problem, really more than anything else. It's, it's just saying problem. I don't want to go. Say you're ill, say I've got something else to do. Just say I've seen the band too many times. If I have to go again, I will vomit over you. <laughs> too much? That's, a, that's always a good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling sick at the idea. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Victoria in Stratford-upon-Avon starts strong. Being honest won't end well. Save developed tinnitus Excellent idea. And you've been advised to stay away from live music. Oh, I applaud you, Victoria. Imelda in Eccleshall. Maybe Angela has no taste in music. Really? She listens to Virgin Radio. Stop that immediately, Imelda. Uh, so why hurt feelings by saying they are useless? Uh, the band could be famous one day, Angela. Well, that won't, you know, that won't really ease the pain, will it? 
Uh, Trish in Ayrshire. I understand that this lady fe- feels loyal to her sister, but there are so many genres of music and she could explain that the music is not really her cup of tea and she's more a country fan or whatever. She could make excuses for the next gig. All right. Uh, Bunty and Cheadle, uh, I feel your pain. Nothing worse than having to applaud some dreadful band screeching and caterwauling. See, uh, otherwise, tell her you'd rather be beaten around the head with a live porcupine than have to suffer any more. She'll get over it, says Bunty in Cheadle, our regular correspondent, Bunty in Cheadle. Uh, thank you very much for all your advice. Uh, I'm going to give the bottle of wine to Victoria in Stratford-upon-Avon because I think that that's, you know, that's a good, plausible excuse. You know, you've been diagnosed with a medical condition. You can't go. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. And that brings us to our first guest of the day. A writer, journalist, speaker, broadcaster, uh, formerly a fashion editor and columnist at the Sunday Times, contributing editor at L. She's a podcaster and now she has a book. How do we know we're doing it right? The author of said book is Pandora Sykes and she joins us now. Hello, Pandora. Hi, Graham. So nice <laughs> to speak with you. Nice to talk to you. The last time I spoke to you was on uh, one of your podcasts, uh, The High Low with Dolly Alderton. Uh, that podcast was so popular. It did end up being really popular, yeah. But also, I think, you know, I didn't realise, you know, because I'm, I'm not a big podcast uh, consumer, no, but I didn't realise I didn't realise how huge it was until I was on it. And then <laughs> my Twitter feed was just full of people who'd, who'd heard it. But and yet you ended it. You ended it quite, you know, you hadn't been going for that long and you, you finished it. Any regrets? Any kind of thinking, ooh, let's do a greatest hits or bring back the, bring back the band? Well, we did it for four years. So that's quite a long time. You're um, young. Four years is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we always we always planned to do it for four years. We just had it in our heads. So it was a really it was really nice knowing that that was always going to be the end. No, no regrets. I think it's really nice to go out on a high, um, and I feel like we did. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So that was I mean, lovely it was, to do. Yeah, it was so popular. Uh, now let's talk about the book. How do we know we're doing it right? It came out in hardback last year, paperback uh, just on Thursday, so it's available now. How do you describe this? Because it's not a memoir, it's not a manifesto or a manual. What are you telling people it is? It's not a memoir or a manifesto, um, which is how most books seem to be marketed at the moment. <laughs> yes. Where Where do we find it in the bookshop? <laughs> what section is it in? <laughs> What section is it in? I suppose um, non-fiction about modern life, if you, if you need a label. Um, it is sort of a collection of, um, I think of it as a collection of myths and anxieties and stories that we tell ourselves about modern life um, or stories that are told to us. And it covers uh, all sorts of subjects like wellness, communication, um, sensitivity in uh, politics, I suppose, at the moment. Um, How we use social media, work culture, feminism, fashion. Um, And the kind of primary uh, thing binding it all together is this idea that women are told that they can be anything they want to be and that they have all of these choices at their disposal, all of these hard-won choices. Um, But a lot of the time that can now feel like obligations, Uh, There's this idea that you sort of have to be living your best life. And I think that's a really dangerous idea. So I wanted to drill down into some of the ways in which that manifests, whether it's kind of wellness telling you that you can look 
four years old when you're 108 or fashion telling you that your life will be completely different if you buy this dress or work culture, you know, if you can kind of reach that work goal, that hashtag goal, then um, you'll be some sort of incredible person. And do you think that it's worse now or have the ways we're being told these things just changed? The, the, the kind of the, the, the messenger is different, but the message remains the same. Because I feel like we haven't we always been pressured to buy stuff we don't need or want uh, and to be, you know, things we don't particularly feel comfortable being? A hundred percent. I think every generation's um, uh, task really is to sift through um, modern life in order to find the way they want to live. I absolutely don't think it's a new thing. I think it's something every generation contended with. Like if you look at the 60s, you know, Betty Friedan kind of talking about the uh, boil that would not burst, the sort of boredom of suburban housewives. So I don't think it's a new thing at all. I think the mediums, what I am interested in is the um, multiplicity of the mediums now. Yeah. Uh, the Obviously, the internet and social media, you sort of can't really look at anything now without seeing how it's refracted through that medium. So I think it's more that people used to worry about the lives they were leading, but probably on a smaller scale with their immediate social group or maybe their neighbourhood. You know, we've all seen the Stepford Wives. Whereas now, I think you can know what 100 people are doing before you've even eaten your breakfast, if you check um, social media. I don't think you have to be on social media either for this to feel like something, because I think now we lead these incredibly friction-free lives where we just have access to so many things, whether that's travel or groceries um, or books. There's just a lot thrown at you now, and it can be harder to find the way through that. Do you sense you being younger and all? And do you sense? <laughs> do you sense that kind of in your generation there's an, a, a slight ennui about all of this, and people are, you know, checking Instagram slightly less. They're they're f- focused on these things less than they were. I definitely think there's a slight ennui, obviously, particularly at the moment. Um, I don't know if I think. I don't know if I think people are checking social media any less but I also don't think it's something that you have to feel through social media because I think you can feel it when you read the newspapers or watch the mm. news I mean I was really interested in the idea that we are becoming you know much more like America incredibly binary in the way we express ourselves and definitely politically and I mean you only need to switch on the TV, I think, in order to see that. And I think that can make people feel quite panicked, like they have to know exactly what they believe um, and they have to stick to that lane and be their kind of authentic selves at all times. And I just think that's impossible. Oh, look, this is great. I want to talk about this some more, but let's uh, take a break from music and then come back to this. Uh, What have you chosen for your track and is there a particular reason? I've chosen My Girl by The Temptations. I love soul music from the 60s and 70s and my girl also reminds me of being a tween it was a really seminal film for millennials um with macaulay culkin and and it just takes me right back to being young one of the things i really enjoyed about the the book pandora is that it's not prescriptive you're not telling us oh stop consuming plastic or breathe differently for 30 minutes a day or anything (laughs) you're you're just examining where we are and yet i wonder do having written the book do you have any ideas of 
how we can, or is there any way to to row back a bit? You know, you talk about how everyone has opinions and there's so much rage and we all feel that we're pitched against other people rather than we're all in this together. How do you, do you see any way to, to roll it back? It's absolutely not a book of um, answers. As you said, it's looking at things. So it's kind of encouraging people, um, and definitely in the process of writing it, I did this myself, to just ask questions of ourselves, to just think about why we're doing something and what's the motivation. Is it an intrinsic motivation or is it an extrinsic one that you feel like you should do something or that everyone else is doing something? Um, I think, so the book came out in hardback during the pandemic. And... Um, obviously we're still very much not leading the lives that we were. And I think there is a feeling at the moment, a lot of people seem to be having of, do I want to go back to how I was doing things before? Do I want to lead a slightly different life? I know a lot of people have made quite dramatic life decisions uh, in the last year. They've sort of had that clarity of thought and that space away from lots of other people in order to think about, how they want to live their lives. So I think it can just be something as small as thinking about why you want to go for that job or why you want to go and see something at the cinema or why you're friends with someone or why you behave a certain way. Just thinking about the motivations behind that because, as you say, there is a lot of rage in the world right now and social media platforms reward rage. And I think in order for everyone to maybe stop being so angry at everyone else all the time, it could help to look at why we choose to do the things we do. And I'm scared to ask this, but do you think, are we at peak rage? Or do you think do you think this is going to get worse? No, I don't think we're at peak rage. Oh no! Wrong answer! <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you feel, you know, can you talk in the book about how there is this tyranny of having to have opinions you've got to be on one side or the other um i mean do you do you feel because you are a commentator you're a writer you know you're a broadcaster do you feel like you have to have of a view on everything in the world at all times absolutely not and i I used to get in trouble a lot when we did the high for sitting on the fence too much because (laughs) on a lot of things on most things i'm ambivalent i always think um, but there's, I'm an expert of nothing. There's always something I could know more about. And one of the things I found quite interesting when I was researching the book is learning about something called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is thinking you know more about something than you do. And a lot of people suffer from that because you see a headline or you see something that someone else has tweeted or someone said something in the pub, and then you just, you just take that and you roll with it when you know no more than five words about it. And I do think that's a, that's a lot of how people form their opinions on, on things now. I feel very seen right now. <laughs> I do it too. I do it too. It's hard to resist. But no, but Pandora, one of the things that came out of this book is just, like, you say you researched this book, but you clearly knew a lot of this stuff. I mean, the amount of things you reference in this book, other writers, interviews, things you've seen, studies. Uh, how much of that was in your was in your head before you started writing? A lot of it was in my head before I started writing, but I, I kind of, I read before I write. I am, um, like you, a, a obsessive reader. Uh, and I think I probably went a bit far with this book. I read, I think I read about 100 books over a year. And I was also heavily pregnant. So I remember being in the British Library and just 
waddling in and them looking very concerned that they might have to deliver my baby as I was, you know, looking for yet another random philosophy book. Um, so I did, I wanted it, I wanted it to be a real amalgamation of, um, I, I really like combining things, but I mean, that's where the high-low came from, you know, combining pop culture with slightly lesser known, um, maybe quite academic dry things, but trying to tease out what can make them interesting or applicable. Well, it's a gr- I mean, you did it. So <laughs> you, you've achieved your goal. Uh, how do we know we're doing it right? Uh, a wonderful book of essays by Pandora Sykes. It's out now in paperback. A joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Pandora. Thank you so much, Graham. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Now, if you thought this day couldn't get any better, you were wrong because we're joined now by everyone's favourite Aussie superstar, Jason Donovan, for it is he. Hello and welcome to the show, Jason Donovan. You are uh, on... Now, uh, you're... Uh, the, this is, We're talking about Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Palladium. Uh, tickets and information available at www.josephthemusical.com. It's, it's on already, right? Yeah, no, we started on Monday. Uh, myself, Alexandra Burke, uh, Jack Yarrow were at the Palladium. It's a sort of a limited run. Uh, we were supposed to obviously be there last year, but we are back. Um, and, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a little bit of nostalgia and, you know, it's sort of, I think, the perfect antidote for, I mean, musicals, I see as a little bit of therapy for us in a way. And, and, you know, it's great to be back live and in theatres again, safe. And also that thing of, isn't it, that I think musicals, particularly like this one, that are so well-known and well-loved, they're like a big comfort blanket. They're like a hug. Sausage and mash in a, in, a, in a very in a very warm sort of London day, Graham. Um, yeah, and I think you know I, I read an article by Sonia Friedman, you know, and and she was sort of saying you know theatre will be a sort of a therapy for us. And Joseph, you know, I think you know in times like these we need to revert to things that we know and love. And and you're right, you know, I think Joseph is you know part of the musical landscape in this country from when you started at school and you know kids and you know my pedigree there is you know pretty much well known as well. So it's yeah, it feels good. I mean, you know, it'd be nice to open up fully on Monday, I have to say. The audiences have been great this week, but, but it'll be nice to see a full house on Monday. So Monday you're going straight into full houses. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. is it the, is it, it was the Palladium, wasn't it, that you were Joseph? You had the huge success yes. as Joseph all those years ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was. Um, that was 1991. And we've got Lindsay Hately, actually, you know, as the narrator. She comes on today. She was the narrator back in um, in 1991 when I played Joseph. I mean, I'm playing the Pharaoh this time, uh, Graham, so, you know, which I love, uh, the king of the kingdom. I come out in Act Two and I uh, spend 15 minutes on stage and um, I take in all the love and I don't end up in physio on Sunday mornings after doing eight shows a week, <laughs> which is always quite nice, you know. And it's still I a lovely, it's still a lovely costume. Still a lovely costume. I my, oh, lovely costume. <laughs> lovely costume. And actually, I, I, for the first time in a while, I'm, I'm quite enjoying putting makeup on, you know. So, uh, you know, I enjoy the process. I... I don't feel rushed and I don't feel overwhelmed and, and it's just a nice 
it's a really nice sort of homage to the past, but um, you know, still involved. It's it's lovely, actually, really lovely. It also must be nice to just look at Jack Yarrow thinking, oh, that, that looks exhausting. <laughs> that's, that's my point. I've done my eight shows. I've toured the country. I've done the Priscilla's and I've done Sweeney Todd's. And, and you know, I love theatre and it's been very good to me and this country's been very good to me. It's, you know, it's a good currency to sort of have. But, you know, it is, it's hard work and you've got to be very disciplined if you're leading from the front. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm enjoying, you know, the adulation for less work um, and still getting that sort of that buzz. It's, it, it's nice. It's, it works. It definitely works. And tell us about 91, because it was this huge sensation that a massive big pop star was going into that yeah. show. Did you, did, did you have the sort of management at the time who just told you what you were doing? Or do you remember your decision making process about, going, OK, I'm going to do this? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. When I got a phone call from this, um, from my manager to say this guy called Lloyd Weber, and Weber, you know, to us in Australia is a barbecue. So I, <laughs> I was completely confused. But, but I think at the time, you know, his currency was almost like a, he was like a pop star himself. And in, in a way to sort of um, jump on those sort of coattails um, was a logical step. But you know, in those days, that was the path for someone like me. And I, you know, I never sort of set out to be a musical theatre star. It sort of found me, but it sort of, you know, ticked my acting box and, and uh, you know, pop career at the time. But, I mean, fast forward to, t- to today, you know, I don't think you'd see Niall Horan or Harry Styles up there in a loincloth, you know, Um <laughs> So you know, it was it was of its it, its time, and and in a way, Graham, it sort of it completely reinvented me. And I don't like the word serious or credibility because I I don't know what that actually is. I think that's about just keeping working and working hard at something. Um, you know, it gave me a bit of kudos at the time, and. You know, it. I mean, I was asked to invest in the show, and I didn't think it would work. I mean, I got that wrong. That's for sure. Wow, idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> Jason stars in the role of the Pharaoh in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which is currently playing at the Palladium here in London. If you want tickets or more information, you can get them at www.josephthemusical.com. But if people can't get to the Palladium, you, later in the year, are going to the people. Isn't this right, Jason? I am. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm busy. I mean, we were supposed to do this tour, as I'm sure many of your guests have sort of said, we've had to, you know, reschedule stuff over the past year. But, um, you know, all looking good. We, we kick off in um, September and we go for, you know, a couple of months and, you know, and just play my hits and, you know, entertain people and, I think Graham's nostalgia at the moment is is massive, you know, and and for years I'd always have to go up into the loft and look through my, (laughs) you know, old sort of stuff. Now I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know whether it's a good or a bad thing, but I put on Instagram and you're sort of back in the moment. You don't even have to look at BBC Four on, you know, Friday nights to see (laughs) Top of the Pops from 1991. It's on your phone. It's crazy. So, you know, that's what we're going to do with this tour, you know, is look back a little bit and just, you know, give people what they want, basically. 
and I'm sure you didn't have to do it, but logistically, trying to do these tours must be so hard now because oh, everyone, yeah. there must be a huge log jam of people wanting to do tours. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you, you pencil dates and venues are not open at the moment, so you can't change dates. People are on furlough. It's, it is really tough. But I'm, you know, co-producing um, Priscilla also at the moment, which is on a UK tour with a, a, a producer called Mark Goucher. Um, I know and, you Mark. Know, uh, yeah. You know Mark. Yes, yes you do. Yeah. And uh, so Mark and I are doing Priscilla and, you know, it's going well. But I guess the attitude is we've got to start somewhere and uh, either we're completely brave or absolutely stupid. I don't know. <laughs> well, if we want tickets to your tour, uh, yes. that, they can find those at jasondonovan.com. And I'm interested because, you know, you kind of think performing, it's all lovely. It's all showing off. It's all, mm. it's all great. It's all, look at Jason, yay. What's the difference mm. between uh, doing your own tour and being in some, a part of something like Joseph? Um, I'm the boss. and I can get comp tickets whenever I like (laughs) oh there's been issues I can tell I can tell there's been issues (laughs) I um no I mean you know I I I think for me to be able to fall back on songs like Too Many Broken Hearts and especially for you you realise why they are you know such golden moments you know and when they happen why people want those moments because you know, music is magic, and music can put you in a time and a place like no other medium can. You can listen to Joy Division, Love Will Tear Us Apart, and it will take me back to Melbourne, Australia, and growing up and being a teenager. And I think that sort of currency is really lovely to fall back on. But personally, you know, for me, particularly during the 90s, musicals and theatre was a way of you know, me growing as an artist. And I think my, you know, I tried a lot at songwriting and keeping the sort of the pop career going, but it wasn't sort of galvanizing as much as I wanted it to, but my musical career was. And, and you know, I'm, I, 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 I think I'm quite good at interpreting emotions and my, my singing has certainly, you know, got a lot better and, you know, I'm sharpening the acting. So, you know, I... I I like to, it's it's lovely to be able to flick between the two, you know, and, and have a sort of a safety net with your back catalogue a bit, in a way. That's the simple truth, really. No, because I know as a stand-up, you'd watch, you know, we, we, if you're on a charity bill, like the comics would watch the pop stars and, mm. you know, you'd have to go out and do your jokes. But to watch a pop star go out and do a hit and mm. what you're talking about, that connection, how yeah. you are the portal, you, Jason Donovan, are the portal for all those people's memories and emotions and good times. and things. That must be just the most wonderful feeling on stage. It is. And, and you know, I, I you know, it's, it's funny when you do what well, we haven't been able to do these sort of live 80s sort of festivals recently. But, you know, I can be up there with, you know, uh, uh, Peter Hook from, you know, um, uh, New Order or Heaven 17 or the Go West guys. And literally, you know, which is quite a sort of cool, eclectic bunch. But, I can be up there as sort of Jason Donovan from Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat and sing any dream will do and the crowd go <laughs> nuts. So it transcends cool. It's sort of once cheese becomes, cheese gets better with age. Um, I mean, I, I don't spend a lot of time in France, but uh, it, 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 it sort of, 
it bakes well, you know, and those songs are, p- are part of, you know, people's lives, you know. And yes, you're right. You know, it's, it's wonderful to have that, that magic, that connection, you know. So, yeah. Well, immediately, Monday night, packed house, full house for uh, the Palladium and Joseph and the amazing technical dream coach uh, with Jason Donovan. Jason, thank you so much for uh, bearing with our technical difficulties and getting on the line. Uh, lovely, lovely, lovely to talk to you. Take care of yourself, yeah, sir. You too, Glenn. Take care. All right. Lots of love. Cheers. Lots bye. Love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Coming up soon, the absolutely brilliant Gina Yashere will be filling us in on her new memoir, Cack Handed. But first, Felicity Kendall joins us to chat about making her musical debut this year in Anything Goes. Hello, Felicity. Hello, wonderful Graham. How are you? <laughs> I'm so well. I was saying earlier, I feel like I spoke to you about this about five years ago. Yes, you did. It, it was in those <laughs> lockdown, in the dark ages, when we were just coming out before we went in, before we came out, before we went in. <laughs> and, you... and I think we're coming out again now, aren't we? Yes. That, well, I hope so for your case, because you're, you're supposed to be starting on on the 23rd of July at the Barbican Theatre. And if people want tickets, they're at anythinggoesmusical.co.uk. And you, of all the guests I had on the, the chat show, you seemed genuinely the happiest to be out of the house. You seemed to just be <laughs> so... I, I, I... I am so, so happy. I think the first lockdown was one thing and we all pulled together and the second was like prison, wasn't it? I mean, people say, how was, you know, how was lockdown for you? And it's like, it's a bit like saying, how was the war? You know, it was horrible, wasn't it? Yeah, no one enjoyed it. <laughs> I, well, I think a few people did because they had, you know, they were in different circumstances in idyllic places and didn't really notice. But, you know, a closed door to me is I, I, I leave all the doors in the house open and all the windows open at any given moment, whether it's decent or not. I just open doors and to actually have doors shut on you is my idea of hell. And so how wonderful that you're now presumably yeah. back in the rehearsal room and not it's not, you know, it's not like you're doing, a, you know, a little Beckett play or something with <laughs> three people in it. <laughs> this is massive. Uh, it is massive. I've never known anything like it. it I, every day I'm learning something completely new that I didn't I didn't have any idea went on. Which is in, yesterday we had a, the the mess uh, um, the entire orchestra and I spent the whole morning going through all the musical numbers with this amazing orchestra and the music, whereas before we just had, you know, we'd had the piano and, and the drums and a few instruments, but not, not the orchestra. It, 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 I, I feel I'm in a, it, you know, a let loose in a sweetie shop, except I don't like sweets, but um, I'm going to like it. <laughs> and what do you call that? Is it called the Spitzkrieg or something? Or the... Yeah, I didn't say it because I couldn't remember. It was a, a Spitz something. Yeah, it's when I had when... no idea what it was. Yeah. So everybody and... in the in, in the in the in the room, and there were about 150, knew exactly what came next. And I saw all these microphones, and I thought, well, "What do we do?" I didn't know idea, so I just followed their lead. That's more or less what I'm doing all the time. I'm just watching other people. Because it's such a shock when you leave the piano behind. You suddenly go, where's the tune? You've done musicals. You've done musicals, haven't you? Well, a bit like you, I did a musical and never having done one. So I had all these moments of, 
you know, you think you know the song because they're playing the piano. They're going ding, 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 and you can hear it all. And then when the entire orchestra starts, you're like, eh, <laughs> who's got the uh, well, tune? Uh, luckily, luckily, I don't have anything. I mean, I have a tiny little bit where, where it's solo, but it's, 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 it's right at the end, so most people have forgotten by then. <laughs> but I, I'm not used to following somebody else's lead, you see. My career is built on doing something different. And and <laughs> a cue is one thing, but a bit, I want to do it the way I want to do it, not the way it's written. So it it but I it's 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 a wonderful, and they're all so brilliant. The dancers are so good, and the singers, and I mean every single member of the company is it is exceptional. And we should say it's so exhausting. If, if people don't There's know. So much if people don't know anything goes, they sort of do because the songs are all incredibly familiar, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're, they're, they're one after another after another. But, you know, it's funny. That's the thing. It's a very lighthearted, silly, silly show. And I think that's what people will appreciate. I mean, you know, each to his own. But I think there's a reason we're, we're putting on quite a lot of musicals. We want to sort of laugh and and just forget about the last year. It's and possible. yeah, and, and this musical will really do that because it's gorgeous. It's all set on an ocean liner, and it's it's, yeah. really, it's lots of fantasy in it. It's gorgeous, amazing costumes and things like that. Yeah, well, look, it's not often I can I can say something when I'm in a show. I normally say, "Well, I don't know what it's going to be like." Because, you know, you don't. But this one is spectacular. And we should say, uh, it, it's a huge cast, but also, you know, you're in it, which is amazing. But uh, brilliant other people. Sutton Foster, who's just a huge Broadway star, uh, is in it. And who else have we got? Uh, Robert Lindsay and Gary Wilmot. And, I mean, the, the cast, is how big is the cast? How many people, do you know off the top of your head, Felicity, how many people are in it? Um, I think about 32 Wow, and then this whole big it, it, huge I mean, it's, it's unusual. It's unusual in that that, that, that there is, it isn't. There is one whacking great star as Sutton at the at, at, at the top, but then everybody else, including the 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 dancers, are part of the show. So it, it isn't separated. Every it is very very much a company show, um, which is particularly um, you know joyous to be in because it isn't isolated into one scene or another. We all intermingle in the whole thing with, with Sutton as the sort of lighthouse standing there and the waves come and, you know, wash around <laughs> her. Um, and, you know, as with Bob Marley, hopefully everything is going to be all right. <laughs> well, Greg in Leicestershire is asking, why now? You know, had you been asked to do musicals before and said no or had no one bought, uh, no one know, I'm you? trying to think because I can't remember everything that's happened to me because it's been an awfully long time ago that it started. Um, no, I, do, I don't think it's ever been suggested because I wasn't in that that kind of, I don't know, that stable of people. And, and even when I did the odd bit of singing in a play, it was never remarkable. Um, and a lot of actors, I mean, Diane Keaton has the most wonderful voice, you know, a lot of, I'm not saying I'm like Diane Keaton, but but they, it's surprising how actors do sometimes also have wonderful voices, but I'm not one of them. Well, now stop that. I'm sure you're. I know. Lovely... No, I've got a good voice, but it isn't. It, it is. It's, it's just never come up. To be honest, I, it, <laughs> I've never. It, it's never. It's never actually been an issue. And what's it been like in rehearsals? Has COVID uh, restrictions made rehearsals really odd? Are you wearing masks in rehearsals? Yes, or? we. It's. It's. It, 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 I. I. I can only say it. 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 it, it 
took a little while to get used to it because you you have to we we were very 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 careful because for one reason we don't want to spread it and another reason we don't want the show to stop so we were doing all the things we test every day everybody has a chair that is separate from everybody else so you do get to take your mask off when you're acting um which is great but it has been it's it's a tricky it's hard and it's tiring for everybody to be masked up so it it, it is it's it, but you know actors singers and dancers and, and, and musicians we're all very positive funny people on the whole so we just and get also, on with it I think. Yeah, and also, it, has, it has have, been hard yes it is yeah, and presumably and everyone's just every morning goodness go you're brushing your teeth oh god have i done my test before i go to work and, and it's all... a bit like pregnancy tests in the olden days that you wouldn't remember, Graham, because it doesn't occur to you. But no. the, the, you know, that little blue line that says you're having a baby. <laughs> and it's the same with the COVID test. Every day you look at the thing, Good, goodness me, I hope I just get one red line. Oh, God. But, uh, and also, how wonderful, though, for all, all, the, but all those wonderful, all those dancers, they must be, you know, like greyhounds out of the slips. They must be so excited oh, to be back. They and, are, and, yeah. they are. It, and and it's, it, they're always joyous dancers, but goodness, it's, 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 it's wonderful to see the energy bursting, bursting out from being, you know, trapped. Yeah. By the way, if you hear an aeroplane going over, it's because I'm parked in a lay-by underneath a <laughs> flight path. I haven't been run over by a Boeing. <laughs> the glamour, with the excitement. Cat, with a very hot cat in the back. Only for you, Greg. <laughs> this is very good of you. I just, thank <laughs> you very much. cat in the back. <laughs> <laughs> sort of meowing in a hot, disturbed well, way. In a minute, don't worry. He's joining. Oh, oh, good, good. We want to hear him. Um, actually, <laughs> what I was it? Have I made this up? Did I see you in the West End in a play uh, so many years ago called Woman in Mind? Oh, I think it was an uh, Alan Akeborn play. Ah, uh, oh. uh, uh, I don't think so. I've done I've done about three or four Akeborn, but I don't. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I tell you, you know, you do the biography and you think I, I, I'm, I'm exhausted looking at all that stuff. <laughs> we'll all Google it later and find out what you've done. Yes. <laughs> uh, Felicity, no, no, by don't, the way, don't, don't sit in the sun and have a pims. Don't Google me. And is it going to be a full audience? I mean, are, it's it's back to capacity on Friday. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, is it Friday? Goodness me. Okay, um, <laughs> it, it's never good to be reminded of things like that. Um, yes, it absolutely is. That is the plan. I mean, we, you know, if it's allowed, we're going to do it. Fantastic. And the Barbican, I have to say, um, it is a particularly great theatre to have this kind of worrying, if you like, opening, because it's very reassuring. There is so much space at the Barbican front of house. The seats are already, you know, well distanced. You enter into the row separately, not in a whole gaggle. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very um, well designed for the situation that we find ourselves in. Well, look, I'll let you drive on and get your cat to a cool place of safety. Uh, good luck on oh, Friday. Darling, thank you, thank you. And I, 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 if you, will you take over if I fall by the wayside? <laughs> of course I will. I I'm having fittings. You, you would smash this part, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you something else, there are six great costumes.
<laughs> Fabio, you've, you've sold it so well. You've sold it so well. Uh, Felicity, lovely to talk right. to you. Okay. Bye. Bye, darling. Bye, 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 bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, time to be my second guest of the day. Uh, this woman is the rarest of things, ladies and gentlemen, a British stand-up who has managed to crack America. As uh, She joined us from America now. She's written a new memoir called Cack Handed. She's living her best rock and roll life. What time is it in the morning, Jeannie Yashere? Oh, my gosh, it's five past four in the morning, Graham. Woohoo! I stayed up for you. I didn't even Wait. go to bed. I stayed up. Oh, thank you so much. How are you? <laughs> I am fantastic. Life is good. I cannot complain. I'm in the sunshine all the time. I mean, you can't get much better than that. <laughs> no, no. Can I get out of the memoir? I loved it because it was like spending time with you. I, I just, it was, <laughs> it, it really is. And I, th- you know, it was one of those things because, you know, I know you and we knocked around when I was starting out in, in, in stand-up. Uh, but your childhood, because this book kind of... So, oh, I know, okay, I'm, I'm being all over the place because I'm excited that you're on the radio. Let's start at the very <laughs> beginning. Why is it called cack-handed? Tell us that. Oh, well, for one, I'm left-handed. Cack-handed, as you know, is Americans never know what it means. They didn't know what it meant. So I've taught Americans a new word. So obviously it's an old-school word, British word for left-handed. Um, it also... Cack-handed also means awkward and clumsy because apparently we're supposed to be. I don't think it's true. I just think that we're living in a right-handed world. If I'm next to you in the pub and I'm talking and gesticulating with my left hand, I'm going to knock over your drink because you put it on your dominant side, which is your right side, and I'm considered awkward and clumsy because I'm not your drink ever. But that's because 90% of the world is right-handed. We're being discriminated against. Also, it's a metaphor for how... Uh, my life and career, the, the route that it's taken. You know, I've jumped over obstacles, circumvented obstacles, dug under obstacles. So, yeah, it's kind of a metaphor for, metaphor for that, for my life and the way my career has gone. Because it's interesting, you know, reading about your childhood, that could have gone either way. You know, I think some co- yeah. kids... Well, you know what I mean? Some kids could have been uh, sort of defeated by it or crushed by it, and that wasn't you. You decided, no, I'm not going to be... I'm going to, you know, I'm going to thrive. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a success. Where did that come from? Probably my mum. I think, you know, if you think that what my mum went through coming into England in the late 50s, early 60s, when uh, they used to have signs on their doors that said, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, and raised in a, uh, kids in Bethnal Green, East London, where we used to get chased by skinheads. I think tenacity, <laughs> work ethic, never give up, giving up, I got that from her. So, yeah, and she was like, you better be successful because I've sacrificed all of this <laughs> to give you the best opportunity, so you better be do well in life. Because yeah, because when I when I started doing stand up, you were doing stand up. I honestly, it wasn't until I was reading this book that I realised you were as fresh as I was. I thought you'd been good because you were you had such a persona on stage. You had a kind of a physical way of being on stage. I thought you'd been doing it for ages. Um, were no. you were you copying someone? Where did where did that come from? That you knew how to be on a stage and you had, you know, you, you seemed to have a persona right there. I think it's, uh, I was using comedy at school to d- deflect from uh, fighting. So I was always getting picked on at school and stuff. So I made myself the craziest kid at school. If anybody 
came at me, I would fight them. And that was how I kept bullies at bay. And then later on, I was like, I can't fight all my way through school. I'm going to get expelled. And then I started to develop my humor. And I thought, well, if people are laughing with me, then they're not trying to fight me. So I'd been developing the humor from like 10, 11 years old. So by the time I actually started doing it for a living, I already had the persona ready to go. <laughs> and tell me, because I, I just assumed when you went to America, I thought, good on you. You know, you, you saw an opportunity and you kind of thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. But actually in the book, you realise that actually it came out of quite a depressing series of rejections and, and kind of hitting a brick wall in Britain. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I've wanted to go to America since I was four. Uh, you know, they had better sweets over there, better chocolates, better bikes. Kids seem to all live near the beach and, and, and be detectives after school in their spare time. <laughs> but, so I'd always wanted to, even when I worked as an engineer, I worked for an American company because I, I was planning to go to America all my life. Uh, but obviously as a comedian, I hit the glass ceiling that most black comics hit in England where, you know, there's a nightclub policy when it comes to black people getting on TV. It's one in, one out. And um, we, so, you know, I was waiting for a long time for Lenny Henry to die and he's way too healthy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love Lenny. I've done that joke in front of him and he laughed. Thank God. Um, but yeah, so it was, a, it, you know, I just kept getting knocked back. And then eventually I was like, look, I could stay here and just scrabble for crumbs or I'm going to go to America and swim with the, the sharks and see if I can, if I'm as good as I think I am. You know, wow. it took a long time. I was in England trying to, BBC dangled carrots in front of me. If you do this, we'll give you your sketch show. You, you'll get this, you'll get that. And it just never came. And they kept giving it to other people. I kept feeling like I was being passed over for promotion. And then the last floor uh, came when they gave Jocelyn G her show. And I was like, well, that's the Nigerian female comedian slot on. <laughs> I don't stand a chance. I'm out. <laughs> Well, it's a really inspiring story because, like I say, you know, at any point in the story, it could have gone either way. And listen, I don't know if you know this, but this, so this, obviously, we're talking on Virgin Radio, but we're also being simulcast on uh, Virgin Radio Pride, which is a pop up station for the summer uh, celebrating Pride and the LGBTQ plus community. And in the book, right. you you talk about, you know, coming out to your family, coming out to your friends. And, and that's an experience, I think, you know, obviously, anyone who is out has had that. But I think. You did a really interesting thing that I'd like. I'd like to hear you talk about. Was after that you then decided to come out in your life, in your professional life, on stage? What was that like? Uh, that decision, and what was it like following that decision? You know what? Coming out on stage, it, it, it took me a long time to do it. I didn't do it for a long time because I was like fearful of the fact that I didn't want to get pigeonholed even further because I was like, I've got enough going against me in this industry, <laughs> being black, female, not looking like Halle Berry, not being 21. So I, <laughs> I didn't want to add anything else to, for them to put me in a box with. But I didn't come out actually on stage till I came to America. I was out here working and... You know, I was like, you know what? I tried to play the game and pretend, you know, and hide who I truly was for a long time. And I was like, you know what? I'm at a stage in my life. I don't care anymore. Take me or leave me. And I didn't make a big deal about coming out on stage. I didn't go, look at me. I'm now gay. Like, you know, I just literally just slipped a line in here and there, slipped a joking and then moved on. And that's how I did it. I did it kind of gradually. And people didn't really notice. 
and people who, you know, did were like, oh, yeah, we kind of guessed all along. It's not like anybody was surprised. I was hardly the most feminine woman in the world. So, yeah, I just kind of slipped a joke in here and there. And then more and more stuff about... And you know what? It opened up me up comedically because I was able to talk about my relationships, talk about, you know, I've got a whole routine that's gone viral about talking about when my girlfriend Nina met my mum and how she kneeled be- knelt before my mum as a show of respect for my mum's Nigerian culture. Now my mum absolutely loves her more than me, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I was lucky in a way that I was never in on stage, if you know what I mean. But I think that must be such a difficult decision because it is weird that there, you know, you must have had managers and people kind of telling you, don't do this. Oh, yeah, people said, oh, no, you can't. You know, you've got a very large black audience and black people are homophobic. They're not going to like, you're going to lose your audience. And I was like, well, I got to a point where I was like, I built up an audience of people who really like what I do. And if, if they didn't, if they left me because of who I love then... I didn't want them anyway, and I'm sure I'd gain more. And I don't think I lost many people. I didn't. I don't think I did because people just love what I do and love the comedy, and they've. And I've always been very honest and outspoken in every other aspect of my life. So you know, if you're coming to my show, it's no holds barred. So I, I gained a lot more people, and I don't think I lost many. So yeah, and, uh, and I think my comedy got much better. And presumably you're working on uh, Cack Handed 2 because this book takes us up to you kind of arriving, blinking into the bright lights of America. So presumably <laughs> there, is a, there is another vol- volume on the way, right? I'm hoping so. All depends on how well this book sells. Graham, so you better help me with that. Yeah, originally <laughs> the, when I sold them the idea, like the, my publishers, the idea of the book, it was going to come all the way up to present day. But my childhood and early life was so rich that I realized I've got to like page 300 and I hadn't even got to America. So I was like, so I had to call the publisher and go, listen, uh, I'm changing the book. I'm going to end it and mean come to America because I'm so, the story in America is also extremely rich. And I was like, I don't want to just squeeze it in to one and a half chapters at the end of the book. So uh, that leaves room for the, 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 the US story for the second book. Well, it's a fantastic story. It really is. It's it's interesting. It's moving. It's inspiring. Cack Handed is Thanks, out Graham. now in hardback. Ginny Ashray, I'll talk to you again. Go to bed. Go to bed, young lady. Thanks, Graham. Thank you. <laughs> bye, bye, darling. Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.